Good morning and welcome back, folks. Good to have you with us here on the Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. We do want you to join us here. I'm thinking about what's been going on in our city a great deal. So Baltimore, up to date, we have had 101 murders in our community, uh, more than we've had in dozens of years. We have had 276 shootings in Baltimore since the beginning of the year. We total violent crime, excluding common assaults, and these are from police stats I'm reading, by the way, are 3,521 assaults, at, as opposed to 2,871 this time last year. And the list goes up and on. I can keep reading it. And then we had an article in The Sun just the other day that said, front of headline news, that the police um, are, 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 have so much overtime they can't keep up with their budget because of all the overtime inside the police department. And police calling for more money so they can patrol streets. Some people calling for the state police to come over and take over the streets because they said that's the only solution when you have this kind of violence taking place in our community. So well, the question is, what are those solutions? And I think it's really time for those of us that have a social responsibility here on the airwaves, those of us who are involved in our communities deeply, to really push this conversation with our political leaders and push this conversation in our city to talk about what do we want to see in our city? What are our solutions for what is going on? Do we need to spend more, more money on police? Will that end it? They, the clearance rate is still abysmally low for most of these crimes, these violent crimes. Uh, and so what is the solution? We have gathered a panel here. Carl Stokes has been with us, who has spent... Years as a city councilman. How many years been the city council, Carl? <laughs> Most people would say too long. But anyway, uh, <laughs> 14 years altogether oh, that's between what I two states. And, and had run for political office, been politically active right. here in the city for a long time. And I was now founder and executive director of the Banneker Blake Academy of Arts and Science Middle School for Boys in our, in our city. Thanks. Bobby Marvin Holmes is in the studio, founder of Son of a Dream LLC, and of course, co-director of Live Youngblood and Why Am I Blocking the Enemy of the Film? Free Youngblood. Free Youngblood. I'm sorry, mm. man. I'm sorry. Free, and uh, two films that dealt very specifically with this subject. And Kimberly Armstrong is in the studio, community advocate, author, speaker, winner of the Spirit of Woman Award, uh, whose uh, son was a victim of murder in this community, has been active ever since, and was also featured prominently in one of the films that, that Bobby Marvin Holmes produced along with Justin Gladden. Good to have you in the studio, Kimberly. Thank you, Mark. And you all can join us here at 410-319-8888. I see Hank, you've called in. Please hold on. We're going to get to your call. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner, send an email to talk at steinershow.org, but bring your solutions to the table. Bring your fears and hopes to the table. We want to hear what you have to say. Um, and in a week or two, we'll be bringing you a very unique conversation that we'll be taping uh, in the coming week uh, with community members on the east and west side who are living through this themselves, have lived through it, have been shot, some of whom shot people, to sit and have a conversation with everybody uh, about what they think has to happen in their communities, not what everybody thinks should happen to their communities. Mm. So very important. <laughs> very you're right. So your ideas and thoughts four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. Carl, let me ask you a political question. And I'm sure. Going to come, come over this side of the table. Not this table's divided for a reason. Just have people sit down and wait. But you have been a city councilman for fourteen years. You ran for higher political office a number of times. Yes. You've been deeply involved in the political life of the city for a long, long time. Yeah, I have. I have. So why? What? Why is it so difficult? for a city government to put its hands around this problem and find a, find solutions, find a way to ameliorate the violence that plagues certain communities in our city. 
because they're black men, and I've said this, it's not new, Ralph Ellison said it more than a half century ago, that the black male in America is the invisible man. You name another demographic, any other demographic, where people would be killed at this rate. And we'd be in crisis mode. We'd all be going crazy. The government, the U.S. feds would be here. The state would be here. The Catholic charities would be here. The Jewish community. Everybody would be in on this problem because they're black men. And they're further marginalized by saying they're drug-related. And a good deal of them are, quote, drug-related, but most, not most, but many are not. And not only that, but the so-called drug-related, these are not gangsters. This is not the mafia. These are people who are caught up many times. There are people who are gangsters are part of this. But many of these young folk on the corners who are doing this penny ante drug dealing, not that that's an excuse or rationale, are not America's most wanted people. But because they are so marginalized, no jobs, we can solve most of this quickly by putting people to work, but also you obviously have to give them skills and education. The more we put in police, the worse the problem becomes. By the way, you know this is not a dramatic rise. This has been going on in this city for about 20 years now. We've been the highest uh, per capita murder uh, place uh, in the top five for at least 20 years. And also remind ourselves we have one of the highest per capita um, uh, uh, police force, police force mm-hmm. per, per citizen in the city mm-hmm. of officer per citizen, one of the highest in the country, that has not ameliorated this problem. Bob, Bobby, you've been covering this problem forever. Well, let me go to Kimberly. Y- well, I mean, Kimberly, so, so so you know, you've, you've been on the show many times, many many times, having the same conversations over and over and over and over again, and I think personally that it boils down to people just don't listen. They don't listen. You know, we've been tell- giving solutions and trying to get solutions. So instead of you putting more money into the police, why not put more money into mentoring programs? Why not put more money into mediation and conflict resolution? Because what what's happening is, is that these children, a lot of the, the young people that are uh, killing one another, they don't know how to communicate. So the first thing they know how to do is to pick up a gun or pick up a, we- pick up a weapon and shoot you and harm you because they don't know how to talk. So if we give them some teaching skills and teach them how to, just because I don't like you does not mean I have to kill you. Just because you say something, quote, unquote, or disrespect me does not mean that I should kill you. So if we teach them, and go back to some of the basics. Some of this stuff is just basic learning, like the way that our parents taught us. And we have had this conversation with city council. We've had it with delegates. We've had had it with Congress people. We've had it with Senate. They know what the problem is. In most of these urban cities, especially cities like Baltimore City, where's the closest gun shop? None of these young people own boats right. or airplanes. Well, you got your Christian gun shop on Hartford Road just above <laughs> the county line. It is. You see that gun yeah, shop? Yeah, a Christian gun store? Oh, no, I didn't so, see so, that. So, so, you know, so, so my, it goes back to how are all these guns getting into the community, right? <laughs> so, it, to me, the issue is a lot deeper than what's on the surface. Sure. And people don't listen. They're not listening. So let me ask this direct question, Bobby, because you've been on the show many times as well, and you're my producer for many years and helped me produce these shows. You were really great at producing, especially this particular kind of show, because you have this passion understanding about it. Uh, in your work as a mentor, working with kids every day, you spend so much of your life doing that. Right. Uh, but I, we talked before we went on the air, and as an example, 
somebody I was very, I'm very close to, as far as description goes, not to divulge people, young woman and her boyfriend were driving to meet my wife and I actually at an event. Uh, Fades and Fellowship out the Black Barbershop. They were at a corner in Alameda. Mm. And they, she said, well, I saw these young people sitting, standing on the street corner. <clears throat> Three young girls, maybe 11 years old. Young boy, maybe 14, maybe 15, not sure. Young. Looking at us, staring at us, she said, like children of the corn, kind of looking at us in this kind of very, you know, just with your stare. You all, if I right. smile, people know what we're talking about, right? right? Next thing she knew, the young boy with this really kind of grimacing look on his face had put a huge gun at the windows. Give me your car. Mm. Right? Another person mm. I know his friends had on Charles Street, around 23rd Street, was, was carjacked. She was smacked down to the ground, took her car, drove off. Wow. So this, you know, so this is so this is like daily life in the community. So and we have to realize that. So, what should happen to those boys and those girls? Do we lock them up? No. I mean, look. First of all, a kid having a gun is not. We can't allow that to happen. No, right, we cannot. Right. You can't, right. you can't allow that to right, happen. Right. But what should our response be? What do we say that's different than what we're doing when we have kids like that who clearly are a danger to themselves and a danger to the community? What do we do? I mean, there, there, there's already um, community programs. I work, currently work for community programs um, that service uh, uh, youth in marginalized communities. Um, I work with community programs that, you know, we have kids that are referred to us from DJS. Um, understanding the aspect in, 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 in terms of when you caught up in that lifestyle, of course you need services, you need some type of intervention, you need some type of opportunities and resources, you need someone to step in and say, okay, um, it, it's time for us to sit down and push pause on life and figure out what's going on, and figure out what's going on, and figure out what direction we need to go in, um, and and what are the better outcomes for you and as well as your family. I don't locking folks up. I mean. I understand we have a, a knee-jerk reaction to violence. We have a knee-jerk jerk reaction to what's going on. I understand it. I get it. Folks want to end. We all do. But we really have to pay attention to our history. We tried locking folks up. We tried locking folks up out of the thousands in this city. We invested in our police for years. Folks, it's not working. It's just not working. Um, and, and I know we are anxious and we are impatient in trying to solve this problem. And scared. As we should've. And scared. And, and scared. But we have to think things through. And we have to educate ourselves on what's working and what's not working and why it's not working. I mean, the councilman um, said something that's very poignant as well as Kimberly in terms of folks think it's all about the drug trade and, and gangs. And that's why. And, and, and a, that, it, it, a part of the violence contributes to it. But also we're not looking at a lot of these killings. A lot of these killings, a lot of these issues are happening because of disagreements, because folks lack the capacity to resolve conflict without violence. They lack the capacity to communicate effectively. What does that mean if that wasn't taught to you, it wasn't modeled to you in your community? Right. And we, we, we miss that a lot of times. That How do you police an argument? How do you say, mm. well, somebody's about mm. to have a dispute. Let me go pull up with five squat cars and, and resolve it. I mean, you, you can't police an argument. You, there's no way you can figure out when somebody's about to lose their temper and pick up a gun. There's no way you can do that. We can have all the police we want. 
We can have National Guard come in. We can have state police come in. There's no way you can police disagreements between people that happen every single day in the workplace, in the streets, in the schools. It happens every single day. There's no way you can police that. But we have to be smarter about the way we resolve these problems instead of thinking, well, let's just throw more money at it and it'll go away or let's just lock folks up because we can do that. To entertain that discussion, we can lock folks up. They are coming home. Right. And once you lock them up, what's preventing the next killer from stepping in their place? And as I tell people before, we not only have to save our youth and keep them out of the streets, we have to prevent that next killer from happening because right now as we speak, that next killer is in the making. And we used to do these things in school. Like we had guidance counselors in school when we had uh, um, conflict resolutions. Some schools had it. So we used to do this in the school, you know, because it's all it's all of our responsibility. Right. So some people have this, this thought, if it's not my child, it doesn't affect me or oh, I shouldn't do it because it's not my child. Yes, it is. Absolutely. You have a responsibility. Because if if, it's, if you don't do it or the schools don't do it or we don't do it in the community, then that child is subject to hurt you or somebody else. So it, to me, it's just some basic common sense things that we can do. But you have to have the political will and you have to have people in place that have the power to do these things to actually do it and stop talking about it. And I, man, when, when I started I over the phone, show, a lot of people called in when they get you. Hank, Dwayne, Clarence, you're all going to get on the air, I promise, and more at 410-319-8888. I mean, <clears throat> I've witnessed, and I think you witnessed, Carl, mm-hmm. uh, as the older folks in this panel, I'm yeah. old, and I'm older than you. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Kim's the baby. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> we'll leave it right there. Right. So, so, <laughs> that's right. So, um, but... I'll say this over, if people who have been listening to the show over the last 24 years have heard me say this before. In 1970, 1971, 1972, 1973, when I was working in programs in this city, and up to the late 70s when I worked at Mervo and Carver in a crisis counseling program that kept at-risk kids in school sure. by intense counseling, family counseling and personal counseling, and we wrapped our hands around these kids that could have gone to the street but didn't go to the street because we kept them in school. Instead of going being suspended, they came to us. Instead right. of being thrown out, they mm-hmm. came to us. If they were pregnant, they came to us, and we helped them, young people, get through what they were going through. Mm-hmm. That was a federally funded program. That's gone. Right? Right. When kids who had committed one or two crimes, instead of going to jail, they came to us. A pretrial intervention was run by a man who used to be on death row, Eddie Harrison, in this incredible program Mm -hmm. where the majority of kids, we had one of the lowest recidivism rates in the country with intense three-month, six-month counseling, working with kids and families and school and more. So the question is, there, is there, there are models we have out there. Sure. Absolutely. Do we want to invest Absolutely. in one? And plus, what I want to say to you, Carl, the difference we said to you when we were here last on the air together is that in 1968 and 1970 and 72, the neighborhoods we're talking about that were tough yeah. weren't devastated. No. Weren't full no. of empty houses. Right. Weren't empty of people. That's right. They weren't dystopian civilizations in the midst of this civilization. That's right. That's right. And nothing has changed for the better in these two years uh, since Freddie Gray's death for these neighborhoods. All of the talk, all of the nonsense, all the lying that people did about how much they were going to put more money, resources, efforts into these communities. You know, these communities have not. Go to Penn and North. Go to any of these neighborhoods. Nothing. Nothing good significantly has happened in these neighborhoods. As a matter of fact, they're worse because it's two years later 
with no uh, investment in these communities. So let me open the phones here, but then I really want to tackle for the next, next 50 minutes on the air here. I want to hear what our solutions are. Right. What we have to start pushing in this city, yes. because right now the city council and the mayor are going to be talking about putting more money into police. They're talking about dealing with overtime not and, and, and you know not putting money into the Department of Health, not putting money into safe streets, not in putting schools. money into our schools. Right. So let's talk about how we envision what a city should be. 410-319-8888. Hank, you're on the air. Welcome. Good morning, Mr. Stein and distinguishing guests. Good morning, Hank. Good morning, Hank. First of all, I'm going to say this, right? The system is working exactly as it's planned as it should be, right? If you do not have a viable source of resources or income to make your state work, or uh, let's say this, if you're not manufacturing anything in your state to make money come in your state, then the cheapest way to get your state to get money is by prison labor, mm-hmm. right? So the system is working exactly the way that it's meant to work, right? If you want the system to change, you as the people have to change the system. You cannot wait on the government to do so because the government is getting what it wants, right? Sorry, Mr. Stokes, I love you to death, right? Thank but you. you yourself know that the government don't want us to have anything. That's why it's taking everything from us and then telling us what we should be giving them. So if you want to change your city, your state, very easily, right? Like the city okay. and the state has fundraisers. You can give a fundraiser by any one of these 37 buildings within Baltimore City that are vacant. Pay the city the taxes for them, right? Then in very turns, take and give another party and take and find a way to manufacture something where you can take these young men and say, hey, look, come manufacture solar panel lights to put up in the city to save the city money, forcing them to buy it from you. Right? Mm-hmm. You can also then in turn give a fundraiser. Now, these are private local banks, right? See, the Tea Party put together, they had fundraisers. They put their money together to get their agenda across to get a Republican president, a Republican government. We don't have so much time. So, what, I, I'm going to ask you, brother, just to tell us kind of very specifically what you think should be done. What I think should be done? Yeah. One, I think is we should turn around and look at ourselves and invest in ourselves. One, two, I think that we should very carefully be considering the drugs that we put in our body, right? This ecstasy, this Maui is giving us no ability to handle our emotions as people, right? A lot of this violence is emotional violence. I'm upset because you said, I'm upset because she did those type mm-hmm. things, right? Mm-hmm. If you take, once again, collectively, Right, all of us put together and had one party and said, "Look, we raised a million dollars. Okay. What could we do with this million dollars?" Right? Okay, let's take this. Let's take a hundred thousand, buy seven houses in the city, and take these young men and show them constructively how to put together a house. Okay, then so, so let them go. So, I, I, Hank, I pre- I'm, I'm going to go back to the panel here, but I appreciate that call. Let's talk about this for a minute. Yeah. <clears throat> so. How much can the community do, people that what Hank is describing, yes, got it. can do by itself without outside resources, without government resources, without a reprioritizing of our public policy? How much can the community really do on its own? We do have this idea, how much of it is fantasy, how much is reality? 
you know what I'm saying? I mean, this is something we need to wrestle with because we yeah, hear it. We all- understand. The community needs a great deal of help. The, you know, the men and women uh, that who are uh, of a certain age, who live in our communities, who have given all they could to their communities, are now in, in retirement. They cannot police their communities. You know, this BS that people say, well, if the community would just tell on people, it's nonsense. Mm-hmm. People have been telling on people, and what happens? Their homes get bombed. What happens? Their grandsons get smacked around because grandmother told on the guy who's across the street doing what he shouldn't be doing. The communities have been bereft of all support for so many years. They they cannot pull out guns and start shooting, and not that they want to. So, you know, this government is not working. Just take the city government. There's, you know, so with everything that's before us, uh, city government's budget comes in and says we're going to take $5 million from police. $5 million from a $500 million budget where schools are only getting a couple of hundred million dollars. And, and, and the priorities are obviously uh, screwed here, skewed here uh, when you say, you know, and, and it's like pulling teeth to take $5 million away. Uh, so, so, so the question is, can, I mean, people have the idea that, that, that inside the black community, that an economic development can happen separate from the outside world. Absolutely. That uplifts. We, is, we, have, we have a lot of money in our community and we spend a lot of money not with each other. And I think that it could be a combination of working with ourselves as well as with government. But we have to really be uh, committed to it because it, it's going to take some work and it's going to take some, some it's, and it may be, you know, a challenge. So you can't give up. And I think that, you know, we have the resources. All of us in here are taxpayers, right? So that is our money, technically. It's our money. And I think that we have to really get serious and, and, and you, you know, you, the way you hit policy people is in the pocket. Don't vote for them again. Don't vote for them again. If they're not doing what it is the community has said needs to be done, you need to go. Point blank. And we need to stop playing with these people. Because with politicians, it comes down to two things, money and votes. And sometimes once they've been in office for too long, they get complacent. They think they have all the answers. They, some of them become out of touch. So we have to really keep it real. And we can, we can do it. They did it in, um, what was that, Rosewood in Florida. A lot, you had a lot of communities you know, back in the day, they had their own banks, they had their own stores, they owned their own land, and they helped one another. So it can be done, but we also have to be willing to do the work as well. I don't, I, don't, I really don't, and that's a, kind of a, a difficult question, Mark. You know, when I think about all the people in our community that's working to change things. Mm-hmm. When I think about Erica Austin from uh, Safe Kids Zone, when I when I think about Dante Boxdale from uh, Safe Streets, when I think about Adam Jackson and Davon Love from from um, mm-hmm. Leaders of a Beautiful Struggle, uh, when I think about Nicole Mundell from Out for Justice, when I think about all of these people who are already doing the work in our communities, I, what else? What else do we ask of people? If we and, and give them nothing in return, when we have people that can like Cameron Miles, that you know you have to do constant fundraisers, uh, or Ron Beezer uh, from One More One Less, who have to do constant fundraisers just to get their boys from Baltimore to Washington D.C. to go to a museum. You gotta have a fundraiser. What more do we want of people? 
I mean, I mean, what, what, what do we, what we say we want more computer? I don't, I don't know. I, I could rattle off names for days right. of people right exactly. here in Baltimore City that are working, and and, and I think is is dismissive when, or and I I think is is neglect on our fault on our part when we do not mention those people who are already doing the work and they have been doing the work for for years years, like for years and that goes back to my first statement when i said we need to we need to really invest in the people like bobby said and mention it and there's several more people in this in the city east west north south that do this work and do it every single so, day and so, do a good job so, they need so, to be invested so Mark, in so we, we make a short break here yeah. come right back <clears throat> but the question is i want what i want to figure out because we've said these things before and we should say them again and again mm-hmm. but how do we get that done mm-hmm. that's the question i have how does that happen what has to give what has to change to make that happen your thoughts and jr carter and Dwayne and Clarence will come to your calls. How do you think this gets done? We'll be right back. Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner right here on the Mark Steiner Show. Mark Steiner Show brought to you in part by MeQ Baltimore's Credit Union, where it offers a full range of financial services. MeQ Baltimore's Credit Union has been helping its members and its community prosper for the last 80 years. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. Remember, it's a credit union, not just a bank. Belongs to you, and money comes back in the end. More information at www.mecu.com or at steinershow.org is MeQ, Baltimore Credit Union's banner, where all the information is. We are here with Bobby Marvin Holmes, founder of Son of a Dream LLC, co-director of Live Young Blood and Free Young Blood, Kimberly Armstrong, community advocate, author, speaker, winner of the Spirit of Woman Award, uh, whose son was murdered here in Baltimore. And that's how we met. Uh, and Carl Stokes, uh, who is a former city councilman and now founder and executive director of the Banner Blake Academy of Arts and Sciences, and you all at 410-319-8888. So what I ask, and I, I want to get kind of really short, pointed answers here, because I promise the listeners we will get back to their calls. Um, and we have a special little interview at 5 of the hour that we have to do. It'll cut down on our time a little bit here today. But um, uh, And Jr. Duane, we're going to get to your calls in that order, so, so please hold on. So what, so what are the solutions here? I mean, so I, one of the things I said during the, during the break was like the school system, for example, I don't want people to lose their jobs, right. but we're spending between nine, 12, $15 million, you know, with the overtime and whatever else and on the Baltimore City School Police. Right. And, and, do, do we need them? Supposing that $15 million was spent on Bobby Marvin Holmes and other people sure. who were walking the halls right. who, to deal with conflict, work with kids. Right. And, and do counseling and we'll do some serious work to keep things afloat. And if you need the police, call them. Right. <laughs> right. 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 So, <laughs> As Bobby was saying at the schools in Cherry Hill that he, he has a relationship with, and Kim has done this too. And, of course, uh, you, know, folk, you need folk in the school who are not carrying guns, who are not coming in uh, to escalate the conflict. Because when people see guys coming with guns, then their mind goes to a place of, I've got to do whatever to protect and or uh, uh, escalate. And so when you have men and women in schools who are talking to uh, young people, uh, uh, not just uh, uh, not just mentoring, but, but modeling uh, behavior and talking through conflict and how to resolve conflict and, and talking about behavior that is supportive of one another so that they feel that there's a family, a kinship uh, among uh, their colleagues in the school. It's a whole different um, uh, emotional mindset for young people than uh, a man or woman coming in in a blue uniform and a gun. 
Absolutely. We don't need police officers with guns in schools. And, and so, I think one way to do that is that we need some policy. We need some legislation passed that mandates that some of the funding from schools or the school police goes into back into the schools, back into the community around conflict resolution. Sure. Absolutely. That's one way. And then the schools in, in general are broken. We need to repair and, and move forward with much stronger, better schools, period. That's a solution. That's probably the greatest mid-term, uh, long-term solution is uh, great schools, uh, great education um, in all the aspects, academic, emotional, uh, social, et cetera, in our schools. So, I think great, great economic fun. investment is, you know, we, we all saying the same thing in terms of just economic investment. Absolutely. Figuring out where the right. money, well, we already know where the money goes. Identify programs uh, that are in the community that are of the community, not folks that's coming into the community to tell folks that's already living there what's best for their community. But folks who are in the community, been of the community um, for years to come. When I think about Ray Kelly from No Boundaries Coalition. I think about Cameron Miles mentoring male teens of the hood. I think about Calvin Ford from mm-hmm. Upton Box and people who have been but, in these communities for years and figuring out, okay, we'll give you this money. We'll give you this money for you to do your programming, and we're going to assess you and, and monitor, assess and monitor how well you're doing in X amount of years. And then if you've proven to have done X, Y, and Z in X amount of years, we'll reward you more money because you are showing that right. this works. Because I think an honest conversation needs to be had. Just because you round up kids and, and you say you, quote, unquote, work with kids doesn't mean you necessarily are effective. It doesn't mean you necessarily need to be funded. Mm-hmm. If we are to be honest with ourselves and someone who work with youth and work with programs for years, I think that's a much needed conversations because not everyone has the capacity to do the work. And not everyone is not over not everyone is uh positively sure on what it requires to do the type of work that's necessary. Let me go to the phones of 410-319-8888 and get several callers here in a row to hear your thoughts. Tom, you're on the air. Welcome. Good morning, Mark. My morning. name is Tom and uh my son was murdered in August of two years, shot to death in a robbery in Baltimore City. I'm mm-hmm. sorry. But I'm thinking about, like, what the solutions are. But if we could catch these young people before they get too out of whack, it would be good. Years ago, if a young person went before a judge without any kind of offense, minor offenses, he had a choice. He could either go to jail or join the military. And I think that uh, that would be one solution. The young, young people could go into the military, young men and women. Uh, when they got out of the military, they had the benefit of a college education because that would be guaranteed to them they'd have the opportunity to interface with other young people from all over the United States and uh, get out of their shell, you know, get out of their neighborhoods and understand there's a bigger world out there. And also during the 1930s, during the Depression, Roosevelt had jobs programs for young people. They were uh, sent off to work on national parks, roads, and everything else like that. And also part of their paycheck was sent home to their families. There are solutions, Mark. Well, you know, I think that there's, you know, whether it's the military or something else, I think that's, let me get a few more callers in here and get sure. these ideas sure. to be able to think. Uh, Tom, that was great. I also, sorry for your loss. I'm t- terribly yeah. sorry. 410-319-8888. JR, you're on the air. Uh, good morning to your panel. Morning. Uh, good morning. morning. My only suggestion or major suggestion would be that there needs to be an adjunct program um, starting in high school uh, with the major employers in the city, i.e. Johns Hopkins, University of Maryland system. Um, and there has to be an apprenticeship program starting early on so young people have a, a better understanding of what their future could be. 
Um, oftentimes, people get uh, these young people are sucked into these um, uh, so-called vocational programs that don't offer uh, a viable uh, graduation rate. So they're really not graduating. And they're generating revenue. Um, the, the kid is automatically responsible for a, a debt, but they may not have graduated. It would make more sense for like a Johns Hopkins who says that in the future we're going to need more nurses. Well, let's start in the high school, bring the kids in, uh, let them become a CNA first, a GNA, and then gradually through the following years train them and allow them to go uh, through the nursing program so that by the time they've graduated, they are, can be working in the capacity of a, of a nurse or RN or on track to become a nurse practitioner uh, in that field because they've had, uh, they've had the opportunity to work in that environment, which makes more sense, right. and they're making money at the same time. The fire department, the police department, you have to catch the kids early enough, giving them the exposure and also showing them that although you may be working that first year to become that RN, you're going to be making nine bucks an hour. Well, by the fourth year, as you're uh, matriculating through the program, graduating from high school, so now you have a high school diploma, you have two or three or four years of practical work experience in that environment. You, you're goal-oriented because now you know that you know, once I complete the next training sessions through like CCB or, or whatever community college, I can be an RN. I know okay. what this is going to take. That makes more sense. The key thing is you have to occupy their time. If you have a kid who's on a school for six hours a day, they're working another six or seven hours a day, sleeping eight hours a day, it doesn't leave a whole lot of time for them to learn how to become a drug dealer the other 24 hours a day. Right. So I, I really appreciate that call and that thought. I mean, that yeah. is, you know, I think that one of the things there is if you have a city that gives out all this money to corporations to build right. buildings, right. then part of what this, they should demand, they should demand in Port Covington or East Harbor or whatever it is, that that that's exactly what they have to do. And Mark, Mark let, let me let me also and again, say very quickly, guys. So yeah, I do want to get a bunch of calls to, in, so. to to go back to the first gentleman. I think his name was Tom. To his point, in terms of kids who get um, get in trouble um, in Baltimore City, um, there are a lot of support programs for adjudicated youth in Baltimore. From working in and working with youth, adjudicated youth, I know personally. You have the Baltimore Youth Advocacy Program. You have Fresh Start. You have community conferencing. You have community re- mediation. Baltimore is not short of programming or organizations and folks that's willing to do the work. It's, it's, it's not a question of whether or not we have enough programs. Trust me, there is nothing. Do we have a strategic plan? No, I don't think so. Are we targeting our resources and the hot spots in Baltimore? No, we're not because the programs I just named are outside of these communities where the violence are happening. And let me just say here and let you jump in, Carl, but Reality Bites tweeted in, as long as the government controls the drug game, and Baltimore's a port city, the drugs will be here. Can we just stop for two seconds and talk about that? And then go right back to the phones. Uh, so this is saying that the government is... Yeah, and I don't know, you know, we say that all the time. Want the drugs to happen. As the I don't CIA. like speculating. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, tra- we know the CIA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, but I, no. I, I'm careful not to speculate. I, I do have my, 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 my suspicions, but I, I, don't, I don't like to entertain too, many, too much of uh, speculating. But to say it's government <laughs> policy... To right. sell drugs, I right. think, is absurd. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put it out there. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, to I, say to be naive to say that people who are involved in government are not involved somehow. The CIA yeah. has been proven to do this yeah. under Reagan through Latin America and the right. Iran deal and right. Right. all the rest that happened years mm-hmm. ago. What happened in Vietnam? Mm-hmm. All that was real. That stuff is real. Right. Right. Absolutely. But to say like it's a government program, right. a secret one to give drugs to the black community, I think. I, I'm careful. That's a, that's that, fake news. That's a narrative that I don't want to perpetuate. Right. That's, well, no, I think government allows it to happen. Mm-hmm. So, which is is different. Mm-hmm. You can buy drugs 
in neighborhoods in Baltimore City. You cannot buy drugs in other neighborhoods in Baltimore City. And there are people who live in neighborhoods where you can't buy drugs who know they can come into my neighborhood. But they can and buy, buy drugs. They all just do the drugs the closed they door. Yeah. There's drug dealing I everywhere. I got that. Yeah. No. Okay. Yeah, drug dealing everywhere. But they allow it openly to happen in front of exactly. grandmother's yes. homes. Right. They allow it to happen. The mm. police are complicit and the government is complicit in allowing it to happen in neighborhoods. Not just the drug dealing, but the violence. So we're going to go back to the phones, come back to Kimberly here. 410-319-8888. On the way to phones, Chala has tweeted in, to address physical fast violence we see in Baltimore, we must address the structural slow violence inflicted on communities by Baltimore. Yes. Yes. That's the root. That. And that's that we have right. to have a long-term plan mm-hmm. and a short-term plan. Mm-hmm. 410-319-8888 is the number here. Let's go to Dwayne. You're on the air. Uh, this is Dwayne. Dwayne, got you. Yeah. No, so it, it sounds to me like, I mean, it sounds like this is a, certainly a, a multi-headed hydra-type problem, but it right. seems like at the, at the root of the problem is values. You know, if a, if a young man yanks one of my... Uh, uh, somebody out of a car and slaps them down and shoots them and takes their car, that young man doesn't value human life or respect other people's property. We and I don't think that, you know, any any solution can say, oh, well, we'll just, you know, uh, you know, let that pass by and don't send them to jail. No, we, we can't do that because we've allowed the problem to get to where we are. But starting from here, you know, we have to ex- be honest with ourselves that, you know, you know, we have a values issue. There's a there's a massive values issue, and all these solutions have to be tied to how do we instill values in the peoples in these these communities so that these problems won't just keep coming out of the community. You see what I'm saying? But we can't say but we can't say law enforcement should you know stop uh, locking young kids up or whatever because. You know, me personally, if if, if 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 my daughter were to be murdered and killed or slapped down in the street, I want somebody in jail. I don't. I, and and if they're and if they're not uh, uh, eighteen or above, I still want them in jail. Okay, because they slapped my daughter down and shot her in the street just to take a car. That's a values problem. And all of these solutions are attached to values. Public education is free, and people have been ignoring all that free education that goes on in schools for. A gazillions of years. How many young kids don't even have library cards? How many Americans don't even have library cards? All that free education now, free technology sitting in libraries, still underused, still underserved. It's a values problem. Dwayne, it is a value problem, but it's a little convoluted the way you said it, if I might do that. Obviously, these lives are not valued. They're not valued. The people who you're talking about are not valued, and they understand that. They absolutely understand that we don't value their lives, that we don't value what happens to them. And so they lash out in amazing ways that are inappropriate, but we don't value them. We don't give them the education. We don't pour money into their communities. We don't see that their mothers and fathers not only can work uh, and unemployed, but that they can own their own. We talk about how we spend our money, but there ain't no uh, Macy's that is owned in my community by the community. There are no super prides anymore. There are not places that we have an interest 
and that we are valued in such a way. We need money in our community. Stop so, lying. So, right, yeah, yeah, I know you did, but yeah. let's stop lying about all of this. I don't. We don't have to give the 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 multi billionaires in Baltimore money and then ask them to be nice to us and give us a piece of that. Give it to us first. And we'll take care that's of our community. That's too much like right. You, that's too much like right. You know that ain't gonna happen. But, but, but let me just go back to part, part of this question here very quickly before we get another call in here. We only have like seven or eight minutes to go here, so I want to make sure that we get a caller in here and, and get this done. So I said, but what about what he said? But the heart of what his message was: if my kid was hit and hurt, mm-hmm. I want something to be done about it. That's right. Absolutely. Of course. And that's not. I mean that that's a, that's it. That is a that, and it that's a logical be. thing to think, right? Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but, but, but the question, but the question, okay. Once once we do something about it, right? Okay, we hold this person accountable. Okay, then what? When that's assault charge. Okay, if if he is convicted, if he is convicted for that crime, and he may get I don't know two three years, he comes back home. Then what? I mean, my, the thing is, yeah. what, 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 what did we resolve? So he was held accountable for that crime. Yeah. But you know, again, folks think, well, let's lock him up. We did that already. Once the person returns back home, then what? And I agree, there is a values problem. You know, the value the value problem lies within our government that gives six hundred billion dollar bond to businesses in this city. The value problem is where we have a system that votes down fifteen dollar minimum wage that give people a cushion for their lives. The value problem is where we know our communities are racially and class segregated and we do nothing about it. We're right. There is a value problem, but the value problem is in the government, the city government, and the state government. The value problem is not in the people in those communities. And But Kimberly, I, I think there's Kimberly another Armstrong. component that's, that's missing, and that is working with the parents and working with the families. Because a lot of these children are coming from families and parents who have been devalued right. and who's a drug ad- academic or crack. I wish that the government had reacted to crack and heroin in our community like they are reacting to the opiate epidemic, okay? If only. If, if they had acted fastly and quickly right. enough as they are it's doing now. now. Right, exactly. And it's been a crisis, a crisis in our community for decades right now, now, right? So which left a lot of the children abandoned which affected their brains because right. a lot of them the parents or the mothers were drug addicted so all these are convoluted kind of situations that now now you know it's it's in chaos and and nobody knows what to do or the people that know what to do they are the ones that are controlling the purse strings right and they want to say oh just throw all them children away because they're no good throw the parents away and lock them up and not give them the resources Right. As, as, as Kim, Kim, and you hit it right on the head. When when it comes to black folks, it's war on drugs. When it and when it comes to um, white folks, it's it's, it's heal their community. Yes, that's heal their community. That's two different conversations. Because now that we have a rise in opioid uh, uh, use in our in our city, in our state, and in our country, the the solution now is let's get them help. I remember years ago, mm-hmm. and I know personally because my family, just like a lot of other Mine families too. in the city, mm-hmm. suffered from the war on drugs. So the conversation is different when it comes to black folks doing the same exact thing which is trying to survive out here but when the other uh, other folks we have white folks trying to do the same exact thing is that get them to help and support folks we got to be careful with our language we got to be careful right. with our language and we got to study history we tried this whole lock them up epidemic before it does mm-hmm. not work so on that note let me try to get a call or two in here before we have to break in the next three or four minutes gotcha uh and mark you're on the air welcome hello mark you're on the air Hey, how you doing? Um, sister, uh, I, I thank that sister um, for saying that, you know, uh, about the crack. And a lot of people uh, don't talk about the 40, 50, 60,000 people you got hooked on something. The difference is now, 
the war should always been on the collateral damage of the crack epidemic and addiction, which is violence, homelessness, poverty, and that type of thing. But since it, was, since it wasn't, you know, I agree uh, with the councilman, um, you know, we have to, and, and the young man, uh, we have to do more on the grassroots and safe streets and, and things like that. But we have to do a better job as a city of letting people know, like the brother said, with the resources, because uh, the, the, the mayor's office of, of employment, they have uh, a flyer that I get at the action center where I have my, have my addiction meeting for 26 years that has on there uh, job construction um, training at uh, urban, fa- uh, urban families and different places like that. We don't hear nothing about that. And under this councilman um, down in his uh, district, uh, down where my mother lived, down the the, the um, Road Carter, what they did, uh, and the murders went down, is they had real community police. And he'll tell you, in 2011, they had that big that big uh, wet thing out in the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had cadets out walking the beats along with officers and stuff like that. And the murders went down, down in uh, Mr. Stokes. Yeah, um, Melvin district. Russell. He'll tell oh, you so- about that. Uh, so let, we, we're almost out of time here. So do you want to respond very quickly, Carla? No, no, no. I'm just saying he's he's right. Uh, pro, uh, a lot of what Melvin Russell, former commander, dead, and and a couple commanders before him, dead, was to do real quote unquote community policing, where police were in the street, on the street, on porches, uh, in the barber shop, not in the car, but really knew the folk who they were talking with and could uh, could. In some cases, Bobby, stop stuff before it happened because they had that exactly. relationship with folk. So this is so we so should we get another call here? You guys want to have a quick final thought before we do? In the two minutes we've got left. You know, I think that we have um, Baltimore is a very rich in a lot of resources, and we have we have the potential, and we have the people that are doing the work, and they will continue to do the work. All we are saying is that you know we just want a, just a little bit of help. And financially, the same way you are helping downtown, you need to help uptown as well. I agree um, with the same sentiment, um, Kim. And folks, please pay attention. It's not like no one's not doing anything in these communities. Folks yeah, are already right. in these communities. Uh, we're quick to pass judgment in communities we don't even live in and say what needs to be done about those communities, and yet we don't step foot in them to help when there are already people that, that are doing the work every single day. If anything, they need funding. Um, and, and, and a real fund and substantial funding, not just $2,000, $5,000 here, but they need substantial funding to continue to work and to include others in that work. Yeah, I agree with them. I don't really need to add anything, I, except that I want a lot of funny, money financial. Port Covington funding. Yes, that Port Covington money. Yeah, Port Covington money. So We need to have what I would call it a, a Bring them in. Reconstruction period in Baltimore City. With money and power being invested in our communities. I want to thank Bobby Marvin Holmes, Kimberly Armstrong, and Carl Stokes for an engaging hour, and all of you who called in and tweeted in. And as we go out, I'll read this last tweet from Reality Bites. Black churches need to step up. It's no way the church should be still standing tall in the middle of failing neighborhoods. Well. Well. (laughs) All right. And on that note, I want to thank you all. And we're going to come right back after this brief break. We're going to continue this conversation. It's going to keep going on. Reminding the Mark Steiner Show is brought to you in part by the Maryland State Education Association. 
From limiting over testing to protecting public school funding, you can learn more about the issues facing Maryland students, parents, and schools by visiting the Maryland State Education Association's website at MarylandEducators.org. That's MarylandEducators.org. We're back in like 30 seconds to talk about a very interesting program taking place this weekend.